everyone. Hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I'm here with Jason and Randy Sklar. Old friends. Oh, old, thank that's you. right. My old, old, You're our old new old best, best friends. That's new old best friends. All of those words. You can really, I could also be your old new best friend. Right. You I can't can believe, change the order I can't believe around. you got Prince to do the music for this show. Yeah, I know. It was before uh, he after died. he died. After, after he died. So crazy. But, he's, but it's so lifelike, right? I mean, I mean, he really, it was some of his best work post death. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that that's Prince. And I try to keep it on the DL. That's because what he wanted. That's him with, without a filter on what he's doing. <laughs> when you like say just Prince, Prince it's being Prince, you know. Prince Harry, right? Oh, perfect. Well, the amazing thing about that is that he sings with a, just a regular American accent, <laughs> like most British. How British. do you feel about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and the fact that People Magazine is trying to make them a thing? And I refuse to care. I mean, you are now seeing the wheels and the sort of strings of People Magazine going like, "What do we need to sell mm-hmm. magazines?" Like they're just right, like, "We got to make this a thing." But yeah. there are people, I guess, who must be super excited to. See see them on the cover for sure. the 14th time sure look i had some extra thank you points from Citibank, yeah mm-hmm. and the choice was like i could wait another six years and then buy a small piece of luggage mm-hmm. or no 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 i'm sorry those are still sitting in my account i had some airline points yeah. that were going to expire because i hadn't used them mm-hmm. Got it. so it was like i could either give gift I, you know there's all the ways you can use sure. them sure sure and the easiest thing to do was just to get a magazine subscription. So I went for People Magazine. Yes, I could have gone for a more like erudite. Time, yes. The Atlantic. But I just wanted something where I'm going to be like, oh, that's real light reading. Yeah. But every week it's just Prince it's, Harry and Meghan Markle. I also like it, get like very nervous about, not nervous, but. Anytime a story about Jennifer Aniston comes on, I'm like, we are all watching her try and make her relationship work. It feels like a lot of pressure on me. Ooh, I don't know if she understands how much pressure is on me. You feel like she and Justin Thoreau don't have what it takes to go the distance? I mean, if you read people. I mean. See, I, I guess I, I just kind of flip through it. Have a kid and then you tell, like, nobody can survive. Like, it's the hardest thing in the world to have a child and make a relationship survive. You don't Which have a is, kid yet and you're having trouble. I right. know, because he's got his own apartment and the thing. And, you know, but did why do you, you know that? I know. just do. I didn't know that. Just, but they own, have, like, a 24 million dollar sanctuary in somewhere doesn't solve all problems is what i I tell myself when we don't have money Money, yeah but according to jennifer aniston she wanted to design a house where there's nowhere else she'd rather be did you see what i'm talking i think i saw this on twitter moments i don't read actual sources design a house where there was no one out nowhere else she'd rather be yeah yeah. All right. she had like a big spread in architectural digest which i think then was picked up in other uh, publication. By the way, but I didn't me. know that. I didn't know that he had an apartment. She strikes me as a very sweet person, but I would describe what she did there in terms. I would not call it. She wanted to create a house where there was no other place she'd rather be. I would call that filling a hole with a house. Sure. Yeah. That works for me. I mean, that theory works for me. I think it also would work for me. Mm-hmm. Fame just seems horrible. It just seems terrible. Like high level, like that level fame. Just yeah. anyone in your business. Like, why do I know that Justin has a pad? Like, I shouldn't know that he's got his own crash pad. That sucks. That'd be, this- like, that'd be like regular people in the world know, knowing that I poop in my son's bathroom <laughs> instead of my shared bathroom with my wife. Why is he Wait, pooping in his son's bathroom? Let's talk about that. Because yeah. my husband poops in 
your baby's bathroom? No. In your yeah. Baby, well, in your I'm just toilet? I'm just realizing in your baby's crib. <laughs> so in, he poops in our baby. Isn't that? I don't know where it goes. <laughs> that is, um, that's just an incredibly accurate pooper. Yeah, yeah we have. <laughs> it's, it's the precision is he tells it. It's yeah, soft, very impressive. We have two bathrooms. I'm just realizing the reason I hesitated is because I'm realizing that I'm now telling guests of the podcast and Jeff, all of whom use the guest bathroom. Mm-hmm. It was the guest bathroom. It's also the baby bathroom, and it's also Daniel's bathroom. Yeah. But and and then the one that's attached to the master. Is, is yours yes is that common because i feel like i think I it's d- a flaw i no. i think for a long time i thought i'm doing this out of courtesy and then i'm like what is really going on here but that'd be like twenty thousand housewives across the state of iowa knowing that i do that and mm-hmm. having an opinion about that that is high level fame that's what fame gives you tons of people having opinions about your weird choices mm-hmm. yeah you know? Well, but see, okay, as podcast hosts mm-hmm. and stand-ups, yeah. talking about you guys, um, your fans, listeners, viewers, et cetera, have a very passionate, passionate might be too um, sexual sounding, have a very involved uh, relationship with Intimate you. Intimate relationship. Intimate. Sure. That yes. was where I was That's going. I yeah, well, we share, when when comedians share, I mean, I'm not trying to jump all the way into this movie that we're, that we're that's I, coming out. I want to talk about Poop Talk the movie. Poop Talk the movie. You know, we had comedians talk because we feel like comedians are amateur anthropologists. I say as amateur. our podcasters, as too. our probably amateur anthropologists. Okay, well then I'm insulted that I was not asked. I'm sorry. And, but I decided, I decided one. it's okay because it seems to have been just standups. It was, it was, it was mostly stand-ups. just stand-ups. It was and just doctors and doctors and a, and a psychologist, but. You know the the and historians and scientists. I I think that's it. Right, though. just those and Eric people. Eric Street. <laughs> but just those people. But right. li- literally just those people. No, but I think I look. What we tried to do, we think that we're anthropologists in the sense that we observe behavior and then we try and comment on that or reflect it back to the public and the world with an observation or a value or something that we attach to it, which then generates a response, a laugh, whatnot. And that comes out a lot in this movie. But then also in this movie are people revealing very personal, very vulnerable, often hilarious mm-hmm. stories about their misfortune. Pete Holmes kind of said it like we are. It's this bizarre wolf pack. It's almost like a bizarro wolf pack where the pack is listening when you're a stand up or so you're the leader of the pack when you're standing on stage and you right. have the microphone. You put it like you're in a high status position yeah, because you, you have lights on you. You're, you're elevated. In the room. They're the paying mic. attention to you. You control the room. If and someone even like dissents, you know, you most comedians can handle heckler. So there's very few moments where you're, you're not like the leader of the pack in that moment, but you get rewarded is what Pete was saying by showing your vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and explaining your weaknesses and revealing to the audience that you're just like them. And they they see strength in that. You're you revealing your weaknesses is like incredibly powerful in mm-hmm. some bizarre way in this world. And so I think it's evolved. That's an evolved way to look at things. And so that's what we kind of felt about this movie is that you have people you know, Steve Agee is so uncomfortable. He's just like visibly uncomfortable yeah. the entire time he, afterwards. Did, he didn't he I, say it was the most uncomfortable 15 minutes of filming of he's ever, ever done. Yeah. And he meant he did it. snuff films for five years. Exactly. <laughs> he killed people. But I mean, he, that was an amazing thing for us. And that's pretty much the reason why we ultimately signed on to do the movie mm-hmm. because at first we said, no, our friend who directed the movie, Aaron Feldman 
longtime friend for years. A great you know him from summer camp, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we went to camp with him when we were 14 and just stayed in touch with him throughout the years. And he's written some really great film scripts and sold a bunch and just an interesting, good film writer and uh, film uh, maker as well. And so he said, I have this idea. I want to do the history of poop. You get, would you guys help us help me kind of, we got some financing and I want to figure this out. Would you help me do it? And our first thought was no, no, because you know, uh, you know us. This is we were like. This isn't really our. You guys area. are a little squeamish about. Would you say squeamish? I'd say, I'd say just it's that... not the area we trade in mm-hmm. most of the time. We're it's not, not our bread and butter. We're not like scatological. Let's dig into it. Right. And actually, both of our viewpoints of poop, we explain in the movie, is like eh, I don't want to do it in public, and mm-hmm. I don't, it's it's sort of like we're not. I poop, I poop in my son's bathroom. Right. That, that's that, <laughs> that tells you tell the whole up. story. So. This week and us weekly. So we said, Sklars, they're, they're just, just like, like us. us. So <laughs> they Jason, poop in their wife's bathroom. So Jason, <laughs> so so we said, no, we don't want to do it. And Aaron very, very smartly said, why don't you guys talk about it over the weekend and come back to me on Monday and tell me what is the movie you would do? Mm-hmm. Was on, it an instant no? We said, I don't think we can do this. We could have lunch with them and said, I, I, I don't think we're the people to do this. Because I don't know if we can do this the way it needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, tell me the movie you'd want to do. And so we really talked about it over the weekend and went back and forth like, can we do this? Can we even do this? Will it hurt us if we do it and it's not good? Mm-hmm. Or if we do it and it is really successful, what if that's the thing we're known for? I mean, you got to play out every scenario. And ultimately we said, okay, Aaron, this is the movie we would do. An honest, thoughtful look at why is this something that everybody does and yet people don't talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. Or they just have a rough time with it. It's just what is that thing that makes you uncomfortable? That makes yeah, you- why is it still a taboo when it doesn't feel that taboo-ish really- anymore? Like we've kind of gone past that in the world, in society, in whatever, pornography, whatever's out there for people. There are things that are way, way more intense. Mm-hmm. Violence in movies, whatnot. Steve like Agee's snuff career. Steve Agee's snuff, snuff career. career which all is that stuff, successful. which is, you know, you, you things have been pushed. Way, the needle has gone way past it. And yet this is still something that people don't talk about or feel weird about. Or there will be people who see that this is the title of the film and they're like, I'm not going to see that. Mm-hmm. That's not for me. So we said, how do we make a movie that kind of hopefully demystifies that or dispels it? Because you never know. If we start talking about it, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe we've been holding it in, metaphorically, like a poop. And <laughs> if you hold, if you know if you hold it in too long, it's going to be bad for you. So we need to, in the words of Devin Nunez, release the memo, as it were. <laughs> you know? But like release the, you know, the one that's inside of us yes. and the figurative mm-hmm. one when just with all the redactions. Like, let it out. But I think that what we ended up doing was a movie that we actually believe in as thoughtful and interesting. There were great stories that had nothing to do with poop, but that was just kind of the entry point. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It is like one of those movies uh, where it's about a very specific thing, but then it becomes about the entire human experience. And you go, I love that. I love that we didn't necessarily set out to make the grand movie about life. And yet we started in this little sort of portal and then kind of, we did not set out to make the shape of water. We set out to make the shape of toilet water and we we did it. I I loved it. Thank Um, you. I, I love talking about poop. Mm -hmm. I realized recently I was on Greg Fitzsimmons podcast and I was, you know, that thing of like, when you are in the flow when you're doing what you're meant to be doing, time just passes and you don't even realize it passing because you're so like, energized Mm -hmm. and what it was that i was doing when i had that feeling was talking about poop right so that actually is my pat my 
my passion, and it might be my calling. I don't know. Do you like to share when you've had a good moment? Well, here's the thing. That's what I realized in the course of watching the movie, which I encourage everyone to go out and see because it's a bunch of funny people, sans me, uh, but a bunch of funny people and some scientists talking about poop. And uh, and there's like little, I wouldn't call them sketches, vignettes, animations. Transitional animation to kind of Um, get you through. Yeah, it's, it's really entertaining. I realized in the course of watching it, like there's actual weird sort of limits to what I am comfortable with and mm-hmm. what I'm not comfortable with because mm-hmm. I will talk about it on my show ad nauseum to the point where I'm 100% sure. I'm not even looking at Jeff because I don't want him to give me a yes or no. 100% sure that people are like, oh my God, stop. stop. <laughs> and I get to the point where I know I should stop and then I keep going. Of course. However, there have been a couple times on the show where other people have made references to me actually having a bowel movement mm. and then i'm like i flush and i'm humiliated mm, and personal. so it's it's, it's personal like, yeah you have to control your poop narrative i think i do if anyone I think else I, tries yes. to write that you're like uh uh-uh. mm-hmm. yeah well it is interesting i mean first of all it is great that you can be that open about it and I, I, unless i'm covertly not open it's so weird i mean what you have weird limits within yeah. you i think the women in this film went way further than the men like you think about nicole byer and some of the stuff she was talking about and you think about uh Even jamie lee talking jamie about lee. her relationship with her husband and how right. he can do it and she can't he's mm-hmm. like she's like what is that you know we need to he's getting better but like we need to work that out you yeah. know because i'm if i'm gonna be in this relationship till death do us part i need to be able to poop <laughs> right. during that but to the time i say i do till the death like i need to be able to poop at some point and it is you I guess the public, the the couple that's okay with that stuff, mm-hmm. I think winds up being a little bit closer. I know that's weird, and you don't have to like get all into it in a way that is. You know, someone at a, someone at a movie at a movie screening of of the film asked us how we felt about like poop knives. And we were like, "What, what is a poop? Do you know knife? what a poop knife is?" Only because someone sent me that story. Okay, so it's an applicator that's... It, it was a British woman who said it at the screening. Mm. I guess it's something... Maybe the pipes are really small in, in England. London. And so if you have a particularly big poop, you chop it up, right. cut it up. I'm like, where do you keep that knife? Like, please that doesn't go with that. your other knives. I mean, please don't put it on the knife rack or in the cutting board. Right. Like, is there a She's special like, no, it goes behind the toilet. I mean, to me, it functions like, like a plunger of sorts. Or a like, clean. does everyone, everyone has one there? I don't as far know, as she, but okay, like, the poop knife is just Secret Santa. That's a good secret. That's a great, <laughs> it really that's is. A great, that can't be more than like $8. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's a great gift. But it is one of those moments where we were like, oh, that's a different, like, once you start talking about it, like, I even was like, that had me, you know, sit back. Recoiling. And go, that's a little weird. And But part of me is like, okay. Good. You, that means actually you're looking at it, and if there's something wrong with it, then you actually yeah. be on top of it a little bit more. You know, our dad died of colon cancer mm. nine, almost nine years ago, and we didn't even put that together. That hey, if we actually start talking about this, maybe we destigmatize it, and people will start looking at their stuff a little bit more, and maybe they'll be like, hey, this is not right. I'll catch this a little earlier than I would normally. Yeah, I've had three weird poops in a row. I should call my doctor mm-hmm. and say what's going on and describe it and maybe get screened. Well, maybe you caught something early. Who knows if our dad would have done that. I don't know what his relationship was with, with his poop. Maybe make this movie 10 years ago. You know, he's looking at something differently. So we, we don't know. And that's an unintended possible positive thing out of this movie. Mainly, like you said, it will entertain you for 70 minutes. You will laugh like a good seven to 10 times in this movie hard, maybe more. 
And at the same time, you might, it opens a discussion. Like you love talking about it. Everyone talks about it after they see this film. Mm. You start getting into it. We actually watched, so I watched it on my own, and then the last 20 minutes I watched with my husband That's while we awesome. were eating dinner. Hey. And Yeah, and it actually, for a second, I was calming. like, should we? <laughs> I said to him, is, is this maybe not what we should be watching during dinner? He's like, no, it's fine. So that, I was proud of him. See, in now general, I love he, your husband. I love that yeah. he is was cool open to it. He historically has been less open about poo than I have, and mm-hmm. it's been a the joking tension in our marriage that I want to have a doors open policy wow. and he a hundred percent doesn't. However, that got sort of tested in the last couple of years. I don't know why, but I have a habit of not closing the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just because it's like, I like, Oh, he's in the other end of the apartment. I'm just going to be in here for mm-hmm. a second. And then yeah. all of a sudden, Oh, yeah. I guess I'm in here longer than I thought. Anyway, mm-hmm. So he'll walk into the office and if the door is open, I now find like, really, I, I, my bluff has been called because now I start, I'll be like, oh, could you shut the door for me? Yeah. Turns out I don't want a door. I 100% you don't, don't want, want a door, door open, open policy. policy. I just don't. What I didn't want was him to want the door closed. Yeah. It was the symbolic thing. When it comes down to it, I would much prefer the closed door closed door. if well, I'm in there. But let's, so let's talk about that because this is, this is super interesting. I feel like, and we talked about this in the movie, and this emerged for us, that in today's society of sorts, there's the Tinder profile, there's the Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, your picture, your photos of you, your avatar, so to speak, and what you present out to the world. And it's a high angle shot where the light is good and you've put a filter on it so that the sunset looks like no right. sunset could ever it's look. from 2002. Yeah. Right. You're like, what the? Yeah, 2002. You're like, what? Where? Why were my cheekbones? I've never had cheekbones. You know what I mean? And suddenly this filter caused me to have them. Okay, everyone wants to present that as their image. This is who I am. And it is a version of you, but it's probably not the complete you. Right. And I think that that gets people into trouble. As we have friends that are not married, they're dating and literally meeting people on in that way. I think they can get through the first couple one way and you know, a couple of dates. And then you kind of get into it and the real person emerges. It's just not an honest, 100% honest way of presenting yourself. Mm-hmm. I understand why people do it. I completely get it. But when you're pooping, you are so vulnerable. You are so uh, – you're at your ugliest. You are probably as human as – In a position of weakness. Yeah, you're in a position of weakness and you're – You're your most human, I think, in those moments. And maybe your most real. So it's almost like if I'm going to be in a deep relationship with somebody, I, they have to love all of me. They can't just yeah. love the great picture that looks like it was taken, you know, 2002 with cheekbones. Yeah, you got to yeah, love poop, – Poop becomes the metaphor of it's your shit. Like you gotta love my shit. Mm-hmm. You gotta love it when I when shit. I get incredibly pessimistic about this situation, or when I get angry out of nowhere for this thing, or when I you know when I have my shitty moments. You gotta be there for me through that, and then right. Well, love I the think rest of me. that's why I bristled at his wanting the door, door closed. Shut. Like, let's not really acknowledge that we're doing well. Yeah. That's it. Wasn't let's not acknowledge it. I think I took it to be that um he's like let's I've, have a let's have a line that right we won't cross. right let's keep privacy yeah mm-hmm. and i think i felt like i need you to accept every aspect of me right but then when it really came down to it i didn't want to be pooping essentially in public right. but there have been a couple times where like the we've been together for a long time and i had literally never seen him sitting on a toilet really 
until there've been a couple times where I've had to, I forget why I had to walk to, in and there yeah, open the door and like hand him something or maybe I, th- I think I was giving like him the baby. Serve him some papers. <laughs> <laughs> he got served. I think he just wanted a bagel. No, I was giving him the baby monitor. Maybe I forget. You take the baby. And monitor. I was like, you're not busy. <laughs> Right. I'm I mean, watching my stories. Like, <laughs> what yeah. are you doing? You're like, I made that baby. You can, you're, you're making your baby, but you hold this. But I was like, oh my God, I finally saw it. Felt special to me. And then you see it and you're like, yeah, it's not as bad. And he, it wasn't bad you. at all. And he's like, fine. This is what I do. Yes, I'm a human. So you're mad. So, the, I mean, There's, I was explaining to someone I went to last night, my kids, and I have older kids. So I've got a 10 year old and a 12 year old. Mm. And, 10-year-old is in gymnastics and has it like four days a week, two and a half hours a day. She's in fifth grade. And they're giving her a ton of fucking homework. There's a point to this story, okay? They're giving her a ton, a ton of homework. I, I wasn't checking out. No, I know. I'm just saying for your listeners. Who okay. Are like, why am I listening <laughs> to this kid talking about his kid's homework? So she doesn't finish it until late. You want your kids, most parents of young kids, want your kids to go to bed at like 8 or mm-hmm. 8.30 at night. She comes home around 8, 7.45. We eat dinner. And then if she has homework that she has left to do, it's, it go- last wow. night she had – she de- today had to deliver a whole speech that she wrote yesterday about a colonial profession, limners who paint – painted pictures of of wealthy people so i'm helping her write this thing but she's got to write it and then she's got to memorize it and the lesson for her was you waited too long to do this you should have had this written a couple days ago but i couldn't even feel bad for her because i think she's getting such a wave of homework two doors down friend of ours just moved in comedy friend of ours and she was like knocked on the door earlier that night and said hey we're having a party tonight if you want to come by just to let you know it might be loud but also like please come by so it's like 11 o'clock at night and I'm just like, just learn your fucking thing. I'm, now I'm like mad at her, you know, but like because I want to just go over to that party right. and see my friends. But I'm like, just just learn the goddamn thing and this is your fault and why are you trying to ruin daddy's social life mm-hmm. is uh, the pre the subtext. Well, now I understand that like urge to get your kids to go to sleep. It's not because they need the sleep. It's no, because you, you want to have a night. A break. Yeah. yeah, you want a little bit of a break. We have to go out and do stand up, right. whatever. It's like we're pushing them to do that stuff but i was explaining to that i finally got out at like 11 30 she mm-hmm. went to bed and i was just like i'm out and i walked two doors down and hung out and was talking to a handful of people who don't have kids i mean it was like such a different world like adults people in their 30s and whatnot mm-hmm. almost 40 or 40 nobody had like nobody there had kids and it was fascinating and somebody was like hey we're thinking about it but i'm not sure and i was trying to explain it to him and I talked about getting into you get into fights with your kids. You just do because you're right and they're wrong. <laughs> they don't get it. Like they, you know more than them because right. you've lived on this earth more than them, and you know, or you've it. made the mistake that they're currently making, right. mm-hmm. and so you know. And this is the same pattern it goes through all the time. Like I remember there was the in in some kind of wonderful. I remember as a kid watching that movie, Eric Stoltz, and he's like empty he his college college, educa- with- college education money and buys two earrings for a girl that he probably wouldn't see again. And I remember as a kid watching it and he's like, yeah, fuck you, dad. I'm getting these things for this girl and you can't stop me. And as a kid, you're like, that's triumphant. Way to go for right. it. I saw the movie like a couple years ago. I'm like, what a piece of shit. Don't do that. Why'd you drain that, you dummy? I'm, I'm told- thinking of the dad who like put in extra hours and all the stuff he did for this kid and he drains it for some dumb idiot that's like a rich girl who's not going to give him the time of day. I was like, I completely got it on the other side. So you get into fights with your kids. And I was trying to explain to this person, one of the greatest things is you get into a fight with your kid and then 
I mean, deep fight. You're wrong. I'm right. Mm-hmm. They're yelling. You're yelling. It's just deep, deep, deep fight. The way you would fight with a really good friend, someone that you loved. And or then, your partner. Or your partner. And then not talk to them for like a week. You know what I mean? <laughs> like just exit. The problem is when you have a kid who's younger and single digits and you fight with them and then they need you to lay in bed with them in order for them to go to sleep. So now you're living on the other side of this fight and you're in bed and you're sitting there and you're breathing hard because you just, your blood pressure's mm-hmm. up and you're angry and you just yelled at them, but you're trying to get them to go to sleep. And there's a moment where you're like, you know what? I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have yelled like that. That was, what was I thinking? That wasn't that. And you say it to him. I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't have yelled in this moment. That was really actually not cool of me. And you apologize. And then you're teaching them actually how to apologize when mm-hmm. they're in a fight. You're teaching them how to be in a relationship in a fight. And I was saying to this person like how that's just not something that you can experience unless you're an incredibly open person or you have kids. The kids bring that out of you. So, And I was explaining to him there's a moment where I almost – I've learned to almost love how bad the fight is because I know the reconciliation is going to come. I'm like, let's get in it. Let's. There's a moment where it's like – it feels like the world is crashing down around us and she's being so bad and I'm being so bad and we're really, really, really in it. But I relish that moment because I know we're going to come around to the other side and mm-hmm. we're going to have this beautiful reconciliation later. We always do. And so I think, again, that's what this whole And when it comes about. from your kid, too, also first, that's a crazy moment. Like, I was fighting with my son last night about about son. He was up to, like, 10 and on my computer and wanting – because he wanted to do a, a project. But I, my, other, my daughter wouldn't go to bed. I was like, come on, man. Let's be done. It's not due tomorrow. What are we doing here? He was writing and he was searching. He was, it, was, it was stressing me out and I was tired. I wanted to go to bed. And then we were fighting and it was intense and I got in the bed and he was like – I'm sorry. I love you. And in that moment, like I didn't come to it first, but then you can't stay mad. You just cannot stay mad. But I'm saying to love the crazy shit of it all to Mm. come back to the movie, to actually embrace it. It is a lesson in learning to love the mess, the the messy shit. The Mm. man, people don't like shit because it's messy. It's messy. It's messy. It smells bad. It's this, it's that. But then you get in there and you're like, you know what? I got to love this because on the other side is going to be something really great down the road. Or shitting actually means that my body is doing its its proper thing. Mm-hmm. So um, Dr. Drew in the movie says that the reason that we have such shame and disgust for poo is um, is probably like an intensely uh, primitive evolutionary thing because it carries disease and all oh, that. Yeah. Um is, are there any other theories for what it could be? I think that someone said that it is something that comes out of you. It's something internal that then becomes external. external. Mm-hmm. And people can't really handle that. That's interesting. Like, again, if you were to pee on the ground, eventually it would just sink into the ground and it would go away. It doesn't go away. This is something you create outside of you. And, you know, it is waste. Mm-hmm. It does in some way foretell your death. Because you're like something inside mm. of me is kind of being expelled, being expelled, and this is going to be me at some point. And I think those psychological things, but really the the, the biggest thing is like it would used to carry diseases, and so the second people would do it, you know, other people would be like, "Get away from it! Mm-hmm. It's bad. It carries the plague. Yeah. Get away! Get away! Get away!" And that sort of gets passed down, and it's like, "Ooh, this is a bad thing." I was thinking about the way dogs will sometimes eat their poop, and then I was thinking, yeah. but not all animals have that. Except actually, most animals do. They do. 
Yes, dogs occasionally eat it, but in general, kick over it. Like, yeah, kicks, they kick do try. Like, they it. try not. They don't go in their bed usually, or mm-hmm. by their food. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they don't. Yeah. You don't shit where you eat, right? They know that. They understand that, and that's why my dog will not get in an office relationship. And his dog, his dog works at Verizon. So, I mean, that, and that story is, is like a, a sex is a cauldron bed of sexuality. <laughs> I defy you to not get in a relationship there. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about that uh, that idea of it's something that comes out of you. But when you think about it, there is a an aversion for seeing like if you see someone's blood, you don't want to see that. Mm-hmm. I personally find loogies to be extremely disgusting. Mm-hmm. No one's excited about snot. Mm-mm, except nobody. the snot tolerance when you have a kid. I never realized how much you pick your child's nose. Oh, I, I, but if I see another kid with like a super runny nose, I'm I'm thinking of all the people that kid's going to make sick. Yeah. And I'm just like, get it. Get away. Quarantine that kid. I mean, literally for weeks, quarantine that kid. Get him out of here. But I understand, you know, I understand that. And I think even this movie has kind of opened me up to sort of be, just be okay with the mess a little bit more. Um, was there anything that was too gross to make the cut? That's a great question. That's a great question. I, at the end of the film, hilarious comedian Brent Weinbach, who did a an unbelievable oh, book yeah. of photos <laughs> of his poop, he took all these crazy photos of his poop, um, these like artistic photos, which was kind of a comment on art itself. It was really because if you know his stand up, his stand up is so conceptual. It's so conceptual. He goes for this bizarre, brilliantly worked out conceptual thing, like high art version of this thing. You know, we had a longer interview with him and he was fascinating and I loved that interview. I think when they had it in the body of the movie, it just felt like so jarring and so mm-hmm. intense to actually see it. When you talk about it in the abstract, it's easier, but for people to see it, certainly on the big screen, that was a little intense. So we, we shaved it back. They put it in the closing credits, mm-hmm. so if at that point you don't want to see it, you can get out of there. But like, there- it is it's it's like suddenly seeing full frontal male nudity of like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh that's real, oh yeah, that's like, oh I'm seeing a picture of someone's poo, right? <laughs> and that actually, it's almost like that actually happened. It's like seeing crime scene mm-hmm. photos, yeah, real crime, not CSI. We doctored this person, up. Right. but like when you see the like black and white like photo of yeah. like the murder, you're like, or if you Ooh. see like Kennedy. Robert Kennedy photos of him like I don't know if you've like gone down the rabbit mm-hmm. hole of just I like, try to I have a re- as much as I love to talk about poo I actually have a real I'm very sensitive and to especially to violence yeah. yeah apparently so, I didn't realize I was that sensitive to seeing a picture of poo but violence I can't handle so I just I, a, some people had other reactions by the way some people thought that thing is the funniest thing and hilarious in this film we've had all kinds of reactions we just said it's at the very end it's in the at the close of the closing credits there you absolutely don't could get out before it and be fine Mm -hmm. yeah or if you think that's fascinating which we actually did i was not so grossed out by it i was just like this is really funny because he's making fun of art like he took it so seriously there was no there was zero wink but i but we knew Mm -hmm. what did he he, call brown elephants brown elephants (laughs) and he but he himself (laughs) i mean it's just it's fascinating it'd be like i mean if if some really like high level sculpturist or artist was like, well, no. this is How my about latest p- thing. The Olympics are happening right now in Pyeongchang. There are penis park. Have you seen like the, there are statues of penises. Mm-hmm. And by the way, all through Korea, there are like these crazy statues of penises just 
a bunch of them in like peanut. They like call a it penis park. Bachelorette party. It's it is like a. <laughs> I just got married. Like a bachelorette party. Why can't I talk at your comedy show? Because, because you, you can't. Because you came to the wrong place for your bachelorette you party. You should be at a bar. Yes. You should be at a Dave and Buster's. We're you all on the stage at our comedy or show. Go to Penis Park in Pyeongchang. Uh, but they're just like straight up penises, just sticking up everywhere, and it's I guess. Like is Nick Swartzen said in our movie, liberating in a certain way, but I mean it's kind of I don't know I his mean, his story and Jordan Rubin's like the the inner cut of the that was so funny. So Jordan told told the story first, and as soon as he told the story, we're like, we got to get Swartzen's half of this, and then we got went to him, and he was like, "Yep, this is totally true." Here we go. The story is about how he did. They live together, right? No, no he was just hanging out with him. Oh, in New okay. York. Well, he he pooped on Jordan Rubin's floor, but then didn't want to tell anyone. Um, because he was so embarrassed. So embarrassed. But told it at a stand-up show. Right. Told Ten it. years later. Yeah. Started telling it at stand-up shows, and then Jordan caught, no pun intended, wind, wind of, of it. it. <laughs> and uh, and then they never resolved it until this film. It's, this film, they both admit things about it that are just fascinating and interesting, and the fact that we could get them both to kind of talk about it was just... It was, I thought, Fun, really it, interesting. When people who are funny start talking about this subject, they can't help but be funny. And if they're being honest at the same time, then there's like depth to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And that's when we started. Like comedians are the, you know. Comedians, it's, you love it. You say to yourself, thank you for, for being honest. Like that's, you're really saying what we want to hear and what we're saying about our, ourselves. But sometimes people are afraid to say. So that's what we're hoping this movie like opens people up to say like, oh my God. If they if you go see this movie with friends of yours, we're hoping that afterwards you go have a drink and you're like, here's my story. Here's my crazy shit story. And and it like creates just hilarious moments for people all over the place. What is your crazy shit story? I know you both didn't poop at summer camp. I also didn't shut down at camp. I was only there for six days, but I think I I know I peed at least once, but I think that might be the extent of anything I did at camp. I mean, my worst, sh like, shit moment in my life was Upper East Side. I don't even know if you know this, but Upper East Side at the comic strip before shit. Now, this was when we were living in New York and, like, traveling between clubs, like, in a Saturday night. We'd be, like, at the comic strip on the Upper East Side, then at Stand Up New York on the Upper West Side, then down at Caroline's, and then back up and do all three uh, six times in one night. And we were at the comic strip and we were waiting to get on stage and I suddenly like, you know, those like shooting pains in yourself mm -hmm. and you're like, I can't control this anymore. And I, everything inside of me was like, do you cannot go in public. Not only can you not go in public, but there's only one bathroom. There's not a separate bathroom for comedians. There's like a door that almost like had like mini like Shetland saloon doors like <laughs> so like they can see every like why are there even doors you right. say to yourself just a hint of door yeah just a hint of door that opens up like right into like not into the room but like to where the people are right by the bar it's like there's only one bathroom for everyone for <sighs> people and stuff and like I I was like I'm gonna shit my pants or on stage and I did shit my pants a little bit because I was holding it for that long and, and didn't want to do it so badly. Was it diarrhea? Yeah. And then in the toilet and I'm like, oh shit. And it was crazy. And, it was the, and I come out and there's the owner who's now no longer there, Lucian Hold. Lucian Hold was the owner who since passed away. But he used to see one of us and he would say just to one of us if he saw us, he'd be like, hello, boys. 
Just one of us. But he was one of those gatekeepers. He was one of those gatekeepers. He was there, and then some other like people from who were going to watch the show were there, and I was. Like I was yelling in pain through that whole time, and I had to face this guy, then face audience members, then go on stage, mm. and I still smelled like shit. And I was like, "This is the worst I mean, of the worst." We have metaphorically taken huge dumps on, on stage, stage yes. but I mean, this was that was the worst in the middle of a night where you're trying to prove yourself in this world, and it was my worst nightmare come true. I just remember. I mean, I, I can't remember times where it's just you know where it's one time oh we we went to the <laughs> we went to the uh indianapolis 500 when we were in college with a friend of ours or a high school friend of ours and he went to university of indiana went to the indianapolis 500 and we drank a case of beer in the family section on the infield and didn't really eat or the stuff we were eating, just eating like idiots mm-hmm. and whatnot and i just remember having to Go to the bathroom in a porta potty and and take like like a just a beer shit, <laughs> a case of beer shit mm. in a porta potty again at a time when I was like, this is not many years removed. This is like six years removed from the camp thing of not mm. wanting to go. Right. But I was like, it's just gonna if I don't do it, I I won't. And it was it smelled terrible. It was absolutely horrible. And I just remember there being like. A family that was going in like right after oh. like a kid and like i came out and they came in and the kid who had zero zero like they didn't have any tact or understanding but like mm. literally a kid just came into the bathroom that i was just in as i'm still walking away and was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> what the oh <laughs> but i we had the mom was like yeah yeah Say it louder. Yeah, yeah let everybody to, give it to that Jew. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was Indian. No, but there were but there were times. I mean, I can remember other times where I was like first night sleeping over at a mm-hmm. girl woman's house in in New York in their apartment, and like she had roommates, and so I was like, I can't go in their house. I cannot do this, even though I have to go so badly. So I went outside down like New York. I went outside down the street to a diner, and went in the diner and this was before cell phones. And so she didn't know where I was and she thought that I left. (laughs) And then I came back and she was like, I thought you left. I thought something horrible happened. You were never going to see something horrible. Something (laughs) at the Sam Chinita diner. (laughs) Uh, No, but I, I, there is people's confidence surrounding it is just fascinating. Like I remember we went to the University of Michigan. There was a bar there called Rick's that was like the bar you went to on Monday and Wednesday night. Monday night was like $1 pitcher, dollar pitcher of beer. $3 to get in. Uh, $1 for a pitcher of beer. And then if you had a dollar left over, which is kind of all we had, you you'd would, come with five bucks and your whole night Which meant mm-hmm. you didn't tip the bartenders, which is terrible. But like you would then, or you whatever, you had like 10 bucks. You would go out upstairs and there'd be, you'd get one slice of pizza at back room and walk home. And that that was like our night. You had it planned out with like a five. There was a bathroom in there and it was just a square room with no cubicles, Stall, no, no stalls, stalls, no nothing. Just a toilet in there like it was a goddamn prison. Okay. And I remember being drunk like you've just had like a pitcher of beer and you go into the bathroom and i remember when we were sophomores we were using fake ids to get into the bar there was a guy who was a senior marlon stone was his name i mean this guy was 
was one of those guys who just you did that we knew no who, shame no shame and None. did like the craziest stuff ever like got into a beef with his with the gym teacher baseball. baseball coach and in the middle of the night the night before they had a huge sectional game at their school planted a very intricate tree in the pitch and the mound like, <laughs> that's the type of guy he was like he was a guy who there was a woman who drove for the high school like drove the zamboni machine around and what was her name like i want to say her name was like large large, large marge or something like that and she would an older woman <laughs> this is terrible an older woman she who, punched him she punched him <laughs> and he got into a fight with her she punched him in the face and he tried to retaliate and he didn't get to her, but she started swerving, swerving the thing while I mean, she was. She came around the bend, and he was harassing he was her harassed, so much he that was yelling, at yelling her at her. She took a swing at him and, and connected, he, and he, he tried to grab, grab her, her and kind of got her coat a little bit, and then the zamboni machine went like careening <laughs> off. This is at a high school game, so that's Marlon Stone in, in a nutshell. I remember coming in at like one forty-five. Bar closes at at two. two, and everybody's in there, and it's like, "What's going to happen? Am I going to go grab a piece of pizza? Am mm-hmm. I going to hook up? What's going to happen?" And it's a bathroom full of dudes, and Marlon Stone is in the center of this bathroom. No shame whatsoever, taking a shit. I think his shirt was off too, <laughs> just on <laughs> the floor. No, 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 in the, on toilet, the toilet where there's no oh, cubicle right, right. and no like. Yeah. There's like four urinals and other people are in the yeah. bathroom. Just like one collectively, toilet. and he's just sitting there like he's at a campsite. And wow. like it was, I was like, that is amazing. Confidence. I don't have that confidence, <laughs> confidence. at all. Mm-hmm. But it was just, uh, you know, it's like li- it's like freeing, like liberating when you see someone like that. You're like, ah, oh, that's like. Watching like one of the Walinda brothers like walk across a <laughs> wire in the, the Grand Canyon. Canyon. Like, Falls, just I like, can I never do that. Wish right. I could do that. I just don't have the balls to do either of those things. What's he doing now? Marlon Stone. He's, he's in, a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> he works in the Trump administration. <laughs> um, were there people who you wanted to get in the movie but who wouldn't because they didn't want to be associated with Pooh? Allison Rosen. Uh, not true. That's uh, you're in poop untrue. talk too. Relax. Okay, you're thanks. Be in the next whatever. The Ooh, next poop thing talk too. It's like got synergy two, and everything. Yeah, two. perfect. Um, you know, I don't know if there were. We did reach out to Sarah because Sarah Silverman because we love her and mm. she and she was like, you know, I love talking about my ass more than anything in the world. <laughs> but she was like out of town for like and couldn't do it for three or four weeks. So she didn't couldn't the time we were shooting and the times we were wanted to and we shoot. were on such a tiny budget that like we could get a bunch of people on a day and that's what, how we had to mm-hmm. do it. Also, we asked her once and she was very kind to respond back and say, I can't do it because I'm doing this. We knew we were asking favors and so we didn't want to press people. Right. We said the reason all these people did this for us is because we're not people who press people. Do you say, I don't think so, then the majority of people, we would be like, okay, fine. So worry. either she didn't, she was being respectful or she just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Either way, we Either were, way like, we're like, we're not going to no. go reapproach it, it, it again. She would have been great because she's just, mm-hmm. you know. For I mean, there's a ton. There are a ton of people that I wish we could have talked. Like, to. I wish we could have gotten Gilbert Godfrey, but like we didn't make. I it wish we could have gotten David Tell. Oh, like, yeah. We mentioned, Tell, a, joke we mentioned a joke that he did. I would have loved to have interviewed him because we mentioned a joke in the thing where he talks about, you know, air fresheners. They're not fooling anyone. <laughs> you know, it's like a race between lemon and ass. Yeah. And ass is winning. Great. <laughs> a tell joke and I'm probably butchering the language of it but that's the way I remember it and I just remember laughing my ass off hearing that and 
it would have been great to have heard how he came up with that joke and what he thought about it and you know but we just our budget wouldn't allow us to fly to New York and interview a bunch of people there right so that was a bit of a bummer it was interesting to hear Andrea Rosen talk about no relation Mm -hmm. um Talk about how she wanted to do a website with yes. like food, to, food duty, to duty, where she would show the food she ate and then show the poop that she took. Right. And a number of people told her not to do that because yeah. she would probably not get work again. Yeah. And it, it was like a sort of a, a cautionary tale for me since I feel like my brand is talking about gross stuff and right. also other stuff. But, you know, I think there you can't help but say, as a woman, there's that double standard right. of like, well, you can't, you can't do this. I mean, maybe a gross dude could do this. I know, but like, it's real why, injustice. But like, it is. It is weirdly unfair. And there are moments where you say, you know, I don't know. But there are artful ways to talk about it. I think the women who who spoke about things in this film like definitely didn't hold back. But and I don't think they. I don't think I looked at them differently. I didn't say like, well, you're any less like attractive of a person. You just are being super honest right now. I think the honesty attractive in that. Yeah. There's the honesty angle of it. I think going for shit humor just for the gross out factor. I think then there is a double standard and it applies Mm -hmm. and that sucks. It's not fair, but I also think honesty wins. Like if you can be deep and honest about it, then, then it's your experience. Okay. Let's take some questions from listeners. When we ask and send them in, they're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Ben Harper sounds great. (laughs) Ed Morris says... Are the only Sklar brothers the ones on your show? If there are more brothers or sisters, is there sibling rivalry and resentment in the family? That's an interesting question. It is just the two of us. Oh, so you're only We're like an only entity. We're like an only child. If that makes sense. And I think our parents kind of said, we don't want to actually have kids after this because we don't want there to be like a weird resentment just because they understood that we were going to be so powerful. I think <laughs> I think they were very happy that we were healthy and they're like out of the game. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're out. But it was good for us because it was just us. Although, I mean, I, I think we would have been able to handle a little brother or sister in a good way. Uh, yeah. Would have been interesting to see that person have different relationship, a different relationship with each of us. Yeah. Right. Yep. We would have been like focused on that. Like, how are we different? How are we, how do you interact with this different little sibling? But no, no, no rivalry. Was that a big thing growing up? Each of you trying to individuate from each other or trying to figure out sort of what the, cause like I have older brothers who are twins mm-hmm. and I'm, I imagine we've talked about this or I'm sure you've talked about this before. Like unlike books or TV where it's like they're opposite, the opposite twin thing. Like, no, they're, they're, there's nuanced. differences, right? There's differences because you are comparing them, but it's like it's all subtle, and that's what it is. It's so funny because we're in a business that wants us to accentuate those differences and literally put that out there, but we're like that's not very organic to who we are. We are very similar on about a lot of things, mm-hmm. but then in a lot of ways we're not. We have these differences that are almost hard to describe or vocalize, but we're different. Our parents very smartly put us in separate rooms mm-hmm. at a very early age. Which meant one thing: we could jerk off alone. Uh, no, it just meant that like you could close your door and be yourself, 
and jerk off. Uh, but close your door and kind of have moments to yourself where you could develop your own thing. And then when we're in school, we were in separate classes. Yeah. They never put us together. Mm-hmm. So then you have to cultivate your own. You're not. You can't rely on the fact. You can between classes and after school and whatnot rely on the fact that there's two of us. But they always taught us to kind of be. To depend on your brother, but don't rely on your brother or vice versa. I can't remember. It was one of like, rely on your brother. Be able to rely on this person to, to pick up the slack. And if you need anything, they're there for you always. But don't depend, don't on, depend the on them for everything. I thought that was a good lesson. Did your parents talk about it being, do you know, like, was it difficult to raise twins? They loved it. I think they loved they it. They loved it. You know, what I think happened? it was probably hard at the very beginning. And then it, it wasn't got even hard at the beginning. Wasted. Truthfully, our mom had a, terrible experience a year before we were born delivered a baby that kind of i think lived for a couple of days and then passed away so she was like and was distraught Mm -hmm. and then a year to the day when that happened two healthy babies were born now the timing of it makes sense because after months of a few months of grieving they sort of said we've got to you know our dad very smartly said you can't just follow in this for the rest of your life and then nine months later to the day two healthy babies well i think he said we wanted he asked her if she wanted to try again i think like he didn't just say stop being depressed i know he he really just said do you did what he could do they went away on a trip and he said you know, can you want to have kids? Yeah. I think they both agree mm-hmm. that they wanted to have kids, and so they said, "Let's just try again." And I, who, that colors and shapes everything. So as soon as the kids were born, like they, it wasn't hard for them because they felt like, "Oh my god, we got a gift." We were we we lost. We had a horrible loss, and then now we are were given two. And so for them, things that like for most parents are like, hard and difficult. And and like, to, they were always like, "Whatever." Mm-hmm. There, like, was there was no so much stress or joy that we were healthy and that we were surviving and thriving and growing up, you know, without complications that they're like, this is like, we're, how lucky are we? They felt more fortunate than most. Everyone feels fortunate when you have a kid and it's healthy, but if you haven't had a loss, then you see it differently. So I think they, twin, people who have twins have told us the very beginning is hard. And then once they get older and can relate and be with each other, then it becomes a little bit easier. Like my kids are such different age. Randy kids are close kids in age. My, my kids are like, they're, they really have developed a great sort of relationship that will carry them through. They're only two years apart. Mm-hmm. And so like once you know when that gap, how, how much older are the twins than you? They're 11 years older than I am, so but I like, have, yeah, but I have a younger sister who's four years younger than I am. Okay, so you guys are kind of close, and yeah. as you get older, that gap just gets right. closer. Yeah, we close. became best friends. It's funny, because growing up, it it was enough of an age difference that we really, like my parents, you know, if my friends were over, my parents always wanted us to include her, and I was like, why do we what? have this kid, God. you know? But then, as we got older, we became very close. So she is your new best friend. She's <laughs> my old best, my old, best, new, old, best, new yeah. best friend. Yeah, my kids are five years apart, so it's the same thing. And boy and girl, and so like we always are like she wants to join you guys, and then I also feel badly for him, where I'm like I, you gotta she let can't. him have his time with his friend. You can't do this right now, and so it's a little tricky. We were always on a similar page and could play with each other mm-hmm. and hang out, and so it made things a lot easier on our parents. And so, and of course, they still had that background, so they wanted to be involved, and they felt very lucky. Um, 
intense question for a second. Jason, your wife, Dr. Jessica Zucker, I'm mm-hmm. going to have on the show. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to talking to her. She has been, um, she started a an Instagram account called I Had a Miscarriage, mm-hmm. which has sort of gone viral or gotten a lot of attention. Yeah, someone wrote an article about it in like Women's Health Australia. I mean, it, it went international that way and then went viral. And right. She basically takes people's stories and combines them with, you know, really beautiful photographs and tries to share people's stories of loss and she writes herself mm-hmm. only it's kind of like a micro blog in some ways that she has her own writing but in a it. similar way i'm not bringing it back to the movie but i'm saying in a similar way we don't want to talk about the things that are the ugliest in our lives or the things that are right. hardest in our lives and she and has like opened that up, that up big time in a beautiful way yeah and it's again she's demystifying that because a lot of people don't talk about it and so many people have been touched by that mm-hmm. kind of a loss right yeah well i mean there's that thing of like and I didn't do this. I was very open when I got pregnant just because I had dragged my listeners through the whole trying to get mm-hmm. pregnant process. I mm-hmm. felt like I can't I can't wait 12 weeks. So right. I'm just going to tell them right away because the truth is if something happens and I lose this pregnancy, I, I'm going to be compelled to talk about that anyway. So sure. I'm just doing this in public. Sure. But there's that thing where people don't talk about it till second trimester because it's like you you get this. Yeah. So so for people like that, you know, what happens is if you if you don't tell anyone and then you have a loss, which most of the losses tend to come in the early stages. That's why you don't tell people. Well, then you have this like loss that you're sitting with by yourself and it's really hard and you don't you aren't really turning to people would be like, well, you didn't tell me the first I didn't know. So my wife is encouraging people to share with obviously not everyone. You don't you know, send it out on the office newsletter, (laughs) but like with your close friends who would be there to support you no matter what happens. And then it becomes more people are, yeah, you're not going to share it with your server at uh, Bennigan's. (laughs) So, uh, Jason, your wife has been very public about her own miscarriage. Mm -hmm. How was that for you? How was, and is that for you? It was super intense. It was late. It was 16 weeks in and that was really late. And it was very, I mean, it's an intense story. It's so, it was very hard for me and very hard for her. She turned it into a lot of brilliant writing and a way to sort of help other people heal with it, which is kind of amazing that it happened and it turned into that. And we were very fortunate to get pregnant again and And have have a a baby. baby. And have a rainbow baby, which is what it's called after mm-hmm. you have baby after a loss, but which, which is, is what we just are. just a gay friendly baby. <laughs> yes. Which is what we are. I mean, we are rainbow babies too. I mean, but that thing is huge part of our story. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, we both handled it very differently and it was hard on both of us. And, you know, and we already had a kid. So, you know, we, we had to handle it. it in some ways you can't just fall apart because you have this right. child, but you're also terrified into the next pregnancy as you go through that whole thing it's what people go through after a loss and so what's amazing what's amazing is that because she's a great writer and because she's a fantastic psychologist she was able to write about that stuff that voiced a lot of what people were feeling Mm -hmm. and you're like i'm almost not no one's glad that anyone went through that but because she went through that she was able to articulate it a lot for other people and her her instagram page is incredible it's really Which I amazing. don't believe in everything happens for a reason. I just believe that this was the chain of events. That yeah, like, and she says that. And she is she, somebody who... And she says that often, you know, and her sort of message is like, you know, 
Don't try to put your stuff onto other people. Just be there for them. Mm-hmm. Just be like, this is awful and I'm here for you. And that's it. I mean, when you talk to her, you'll see. She, yeah. she has a lot of great stuff to say. Oh, about yeah, that was all from one tweet of like, do you guys have brothers and sisters? <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot. Uh, let's see here. Um, Lisa Murphy says, do they realize when seen individually, you have to see both of them to know they are the Sklar brothers? Do they like that or do they wish they were more famous? I don't know if that's true. Yeah. I mean, do I'm we not wish sure. that we were more famous? No. I don't think I wish we were more famous, more successful. Uh, I think we oftentimes will be completely separate from each other in different cities or whatnot and individually get recognized all the time. So it's. That is not something that we are lacking, that if we're not together, you know, it's not like, I mean, our friend Stephanie Courtney, who is amazing, plays flow in the progressive ads. They do her makeup so up that she can actually walk around as herself. I see it because I see her in that ad and I'm like, oh, that's Stephanie, you know, but everybody like these these slight alterations she can then go through airports and go around and no one really people are like wait do i know you know mm-hmm. what i mean like no one knows because right. she's not done up the exact sort of way that's not the case with us people i feel like you know our, our goal was to be to to do work that got that we loved and get paid to do it and sort of just not even be rich just be able to successfully do work that people respected and whatnot and maybe our last name our last name gets butchered anytime someone from customer service calls or you go to a restaurant. What do they think it is? Skyler, Skackler. They can't handle three consonants in a row. SKL just ruins it for everybody. So much so that when we were kids, our dad, when we would go to a restaurant, would put our name Not in, tell us. But he'd put our name <laughs> not tell us, but he would put our name in for the for the person at the host table to call out as his first name, but as the last name. So his first name was Richard, and he would call it like the Richards party of four. So he wouldn't tell us, and we'd just be sitting there in the waiting area of a restaurant, and the hostess would be like, Richards party of four? We'd be like, yep, that's, that's us. us. We got Without it. even knowing, like that, because we knew that it was that hard. I guess what would be amazing would be if we were able to, and again, we've been at this for so long, and maybe we'll never achieve it, achieve a level of sort of notoriety or recognition or appreciation for the work that we've done to where someone hears that name or someone is like calling in they're like well how do you pronounce it is it sklar like the sklar brothers <laughs> i'd be like that's it we did there it we go we <laughs> made it easier we made it easier for someone else who then didn't have to go through with that we gave them a a point of context <laughs> uh okay and then here are some questions that came in over patreon nice Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go for that. Uh, rewards, bonuses, stuff like that. However, these questions, this was open to the public, um, but these are Patreon subscribers. Cool. Laura Craycraft says, what was it like on Grey's Anatomy? Grey's Anatomy was nuts. First of all, it was written for older twins to play, you know, these Siamese twins. And then our agent said, you got to see these guys. Let them come in and just do it. They had already cast the older girlfriend, the woman who was in her 60s. They had already cast her. Mm-hmm. So I feel bad that we took away a job from an old woman, older woman. But <laughs> like we went in and did it this way. And it was great. The guy directing the episode was this young dude from like ABC pilot programs, like six foot six inch skinny black dude with dreads. And he had just he had just directed the episode of The Wire uh, from the season with like the education where someone 
knifed another kid in the classroom. Just an amazing director. Amazing director. And I remember yeah. he gave his notes by whispering them into your ear. So <laughs> if he gave you notes, he didn't want the other actors to know oh, what notes you're going to do. So there was that. And then the scene we were in was such a big scene. One, one of the scenes was such a big scene because Can everybody you remind, was in. I saw it. We were Siamese twins. Yeah. Siamese twins. And then uh, we wanted to get separated because we were both in love with the same girl. We thought if we got separated, she mm. would choose which one she would want to be with. And then that'd be it. And then we realized when we got separated that it wasn't really about her at all. And we just wanted to, we, neither of us were with her. That's the end of it. And our father, when he was alive, very, in a very funny way, said, you should call Shonda Rhimes. We're like, yeah, like we have her goddamn number. <laughs> you should call Shonda Rhimes and tell her you want to come back on the show so that like they could sew you back together. <laughs> And I was Which, like, by the way, we, I'm like, that's the dumbest idea. And then we thought about, we're like, that's the most Grey's Anatomy yeah, idea ever. Totally. Siamese like twins, we want to get like reconnected. So we're doing the scene. It's late at night. It's just going a long time because it's like nine people are in this scene, and you got it. You get the master shot, and then you got to get everybody's coverage. I mean, it's everyone in the mm-hmm. cast, everybody's coverage. And Patrick Dempsey, for whatever reason, like had a benefit thing that he was the guest of honor that night that he had to be a. You know, he's a dinner thing. So, so he, he says. says. <laughs> I took it as true. He seemed to be truthful in that moment. We didn't give a shit. We're like, we'll be here. We're all here night. all night. Like, mm-hmm. we're, this is like, we're this psyched to we be do. here. We're excited to be here. We're happy to be here. Like, who else can we talk to on this production? We were so happy. And uh, so, so he asked to have his coverage shut out first. So then he can leave. So he can leave. And once that was granted, Catherine Heigl lost her shit. She got so mad. And threw a hissy fit and went into her trailer, and that caused us to go like another hour late. Wow! And this was the week after Isaiah Washington made all those anti-gay comments. So it was like the craziest time. This is like at a time where twenty-five million people were watching Grey's Anatomy. So much so that they, in the audition, gave us dummy sides. Like the Mm -hmm. the things that they gave us to read for the audition were not the things from the scene because they didn't want people to audition for it and then go out and tell people what and leak to the world or to TMZ what the storyline of like the episode for a few weeks. Pretty, pretty fun intense. experience. What ended up happening with Catherine Heigl? Did she finally she came, came out? Back. She came back. She, she was came just back. pissed. And I, I'm, look, I actually totally understand that, why she'd be mad. But And who knows what has gone on week after week, like leading up to that. Right. Maybe this was like the 15th time that's happened True, this year. but I will say this. We are, there's a thing that happens when you, you know, are the star of a show as opposed to people who are guest stars. And we're all actors. And, you know, have an appreciation for the job you took. And you got to yeah, be It might there take like, a little bit longer. Whatever. Whatever. It's kind of cool that you're on you're the lucky. show. You're lucky. You got made this show. There was show. a moment where we kind of felt like, all right, mm-hmm. chill out. Chill so out. she has a reputation. She did. Being, and we saw yeah, it right, like did, we saw yeah. it firsthand. And she was actually super nice to us throughout the whole process. So we didn't begrudge that. But we were also like, oh, come you know, come on. Don't, <laughs> don't well, do that. Um, did anyone strike you as especially nice and cool they on, all on that was cool. everybody on that set was phenomenally cool um everybody was nice to us so we were very happy we they were happy to have us there they let us improvise a little bit which they never do they yeah, never do i mean it felt really good like it felt like they treated us with total respect and you know we were the subject of the show so we kind of had a big role in this even though we were just guest stars we had a big storyline that carried through this whole show, and so they kind of let us do our thing, which felt great. It was awesome. Megan Parkansky says, and I don't know who who this is, have them talk about how incredible a human being Royce White is. Royce White. Okay. Is this a sports reference? Yeah, yeah, so Royce White is a guy who 
played basketball for Iowa State University, got drafted in the NBA. By the Houston Rockets, I okay. believe. And was an amazing, amazing uh, six player. foot nine, like forward, but like had a good handle. He could dribble well, and he was going to be a great NBA. Like star. One of the best young stars, and then he suffered from severe anxiety, I believe. And uh, I yeah. want to get it right, exactly what it is, but I have some version of anxiety to where he could not fly on the plane, fly on planes. So and- he asked the Rockets if he could take. Uh, ground transportation to all their games to as many of them as possible and the rockets you know were like no you you're can't miss- if you're, you're gonna miss out on certain things and the rockets in sort of an insensitive way i think were like well what's the next guy going to want to take his own private plane you're not with the team you're not with the team it breaks the team fabric and they they, they, they took they took a very they- old school approach to what is a very new and this this kid is woke like you talk to this kid and you're like He's smart about mental illness. He understands, like, he fights for it in the biggest possible Anxiety. He's like, I have this thing. It's a chemical thing. You think I want to have anxiety? That was the thing. He's like, you think I want to be in this position to be, like, a tremendously, awesomely talented basketball player that I've worked really hard to and then not be able to play because of this thing? And he just couldn't do it. And then so, like, he hasn't been in the league. He's had some contracts and stuff. And people want to cast him as, like, He's a bad guy, and that's why we're not playing him. It's almost like you get into the Colin Kaepernick of it all, where it's like, oh, he's a bad guy. Well, is he? Is he? Or, a bad and then guy? they're like, hey, he's a bad player, and he does. Well, is he a bad player? Or are you just, you know? And so, like these sort of stories come out to try and mitigate what's through, and you don't know what's true or what's not. Mm-hmm. But uh, we spoke to him and found him to be just an enlightened smart guy who was like out there saying okay let me be the person to say anxiety exists in this world really does and people deal with it and they can't deal with things and they can't live their lives because of it and i wish that the world were a little more sensitive to it yeah so megan put together um a benefit concert called in this together which with a bunch of different comedians and musicians to uh raise funds and awareness for mental health Mm -hmm. so i imagine that's why she's totally he's on her radar yeah yeah he'd be a great if she does it again and she wants someone to speak on it or even send in a video if he's not comfortable getting there like she should reach out to him yeah because he's outspoken and fantastic and you said you spoke to him on we did it was it our podcast yeah yeah we did speak to him on our podcast Mm -hmm. we had him on and he was really grateful uh ray morgan says did jason lose genetic lotto or does randy wear contacts (laughs) i don't wear contacts although my vision is getting worse so when your vision's getting, you don't wear contacts, do you? No, I don't. Do you have and reading I, glasses? Yes. Okay. Right here. I got them at the drugstore. There's, those the are last, such like CVS reading these glasses. These are, they literally are CVS reading glasses. Circa um, 91. I was, no, no, I was going to say like, <laughs> if I looked at those glasses, move. I'd be like, if those glasses had a name on it, it would be 1997. <laughs> those glasses should be on like a metal chain. Right? Those, those, bi- those they, glasses yeah, should, should come with a box hanging. set of the TV show Friends. Yeah, exactly. Video, <laughs> videotapes. Um, should I, say Central Perk on the side of it. it it was sort of a desperate move of like okay i as much as every time i do a read for contacts or frames or anything like that i brag about how i've been cursed with 2020 vision so uh-huh. I however i don't know what it is now because i do that thing now where i have to pull things away yeah. and try oh to no like, i went into a restaurant I but i can't wear these reading glasses because i put them on and then take them off and i feel like i have vertigo almost right i went to a restaurant in silver lake like a new restaurant that came out there and i'm looking at the menu comes out and like of course we've got like every candle from every we're asking people to borrow <laughs> candles from the table and 
I'm taking pictures with my phone and trying to enlarge the menu just to I like, did look that at yesterday it. to try to figure out what the name of a lip gloss was. I was like, <laughs> what is this? And I'm trying to enlarge it and I'm just on my phone and I, my phone's not getting service and I'm just look like the dumbest person. Like I believe like ro- an old person. Like I believe yeah. robots are going to get us, which I kind of do. AI is coming. But I mean, I was like, <laughs> I, I'm like this, these, these motherfuckers are trying to font us out of this restaurant. Like, who puts a menu in eight point? Like, right. fuck you. Are you kidding me? Like, no. So I definitely, what's happening to me is my vision's going bad. And a normal person would say, I need, so I have readers that I would read a book stuff if it's like super small type or the New York Times or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I can't, a normal person would be like, I got to go out and get glasses. But Jason's like, you can't get glasses because that's my thing. So now <laughs> I have to live in a world where I suffer a little bit yeah. unless I get context. But I'm starting to deteriorate and become get on Jay's level of deterioration. Yeah. That's so interesting, though, that as because you're identical, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But Jason, your vision was has always been worse. I had astigmatism in my left eye. And that's. You know, it hasn't gotten much worse over time, but in when I was about 28, 29, I could, I stopped being able to read, got really hard at night to read street signs and I was worried about my safety. Mm-hmm. And so, so you got the thing. I'm I like, got glasses. Oh, this is a way better way to tell us apart. There what was go. it before? Uh, I don't know. <sighs> Shape of our faces. Yeah. It was a very subtle thing to the point where like no one could really tell. And then I needed them and that was, and I was like, oh, this is cool. And I also like... I'm into fashion and I like that. And I was like, oh, this is a cool accessory that I can get into glasses. And so I started really getting into it and loving it and also loving that it was a quick, easy way for someone who didn't want to find out who we are as people. Uh, (laughs) Just a way for you to tell us apart. Uh, And if you can't even get that, if you aren't even willing to learn who, which one of us has glasses, then you're really telling us something about how much you care about us. Uh, Randy, where did you get your readers, which I imagine are not called 1997? No, I got them from Warby Parker. They did the oh, whole yeah. thing with our podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to get like Elvis Costello glasses. I mean, I love Elvis Costello. and I want to get like thick horn rim frames and like big ones. And I got them and I love them. But I mean, I, I can't wear it anywhere but in like a house or a hotel room. Right. Or else Jason will get mad at me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I should, that's where I should get... My, I didn't know that you can just get regular like reading glasses through uh, them. Yeah, I mean it's great. It was fantastic. That's what I should do. So by readers, you're just saying something that's going to magnify right. what's on the page, right? Yeah. Right, right. And sometimes I'll wear my if I can't find mine, I'll wear my wife's. You know, which is just terrible. It's just me wearing like a, and she's got some cool glasses, but it's like <laughs> not the right size. Right, it's just terrible. Um, let's do just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on. Something I have thought or done Is it just me or everyone? Now this guy did Schoolhouse Rock too. Yeah, he exactly. did all the he songs for Schoolhouse Rock. That's right. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's Prince. Yeah. Three is the magic number. <laughs> um, so again, this is where people write in with things they think or do. They mm-hmm. wonder, is it just them? Is it everyone? Jill Katie says, deliberately use too much shampoo just to make sure it runs out at the same time as the conditioner. That is great call. OCD. No, I, <laughs> I feel like smart. a lot of people actually. I don't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I. This is how libertine I am. Sometimes I'll use a different kind of conditioner than shampoo. Like Just I to mix sink and it match. Up. No, and it's it doesn't you're even cra- have. To, you're crazy. I know. You got to stop. <laughs> I live life <laughs> in color, edge. out loud, and in color. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I so I. 
But I, think I, that's I do just, things yeah. like this, but not that one. That is to me. Yeah, I don't know. I but mean, I feel like I'm pretty sure there's other people who do this. In fact, I feel like it might have come in before. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think other people do it. I just I can't see doing it, but I probably I agree with you. I bet more people do that just because they want it on the same schedule. Like they don't want right. to be just because there's a moment where you'll shampoo will run out for whatever reason. You can't get to the store. You can't order it online. Whatever, and you'll go three days or five days or just a week, shampooing with conditioner. Just shampooing with conditioner, mm-hmm. and you're like, why is my hair so flat? Yeah, that is the reason. I. Excellent knowledge of the way conditioner affects your hair. Oh, it flattens it. <laughs> it really <laughs> it flattens does. It out. Yeah, it makes your hair flatter than Shelley Duvall. <laughs> flat, flat hair is wild. Flat hair. I did not know that. Do you remember? It was called like Mother Goose stories with Shelley Duvall. No. Where, Jeff, will you look it up? I don't think it was Mother Goose stories, but it was something oh. where she would host a yeah. fairy tale. Yes, I do remember. It was that. like Mother Goose Playhouse yeah, or something or like some that. Some sort of a fairy tale thing. Yeah. I do remember that. She was a crazy lady mm-hmm. and a great actress. Great. And like to be in Robert Altman's stable. I mean, I just made a joke about how flat she was. And <laughs> she was she, sorry, amazing. Didn't she just do something crazy within the last year? Oh, I don't possible. Know. But I, I feel, feel like yeah. I feel like I have a vague memory. Unless of, it was a kids' movie. I don't don't count on me reading a tweet i was there was like a moment when people were getting thrown off planes for being too fat to fly which Mm -hmm. i thought is just rude and mean yeah and our joke at the time was i don't know if you saw this but uh as dueling carson's uh northwest airlines last week just kicked shelly duvall off a flight she was too flat to fly that is uh it was so i love doing that joke so much and it never got the respect never (laughs) and rightfully just just like just now rightfully so (laughs) shelly duvall's fairy tale theater yes that's what i'm thinking of 1982 wow until 87 hey but I wasn't hit. alive yet then. I know. <laughs> I definitely was. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Eric Olson says, when I'm driving, I find myself more gracious and forgiving to people driving the same make of car as I do. Mm. I feel like I don't do that. Um, in, but I, I hate when I see someone driving my make of car and that person is driving like an asshole. So like, you're the opposite. All down. You yeah. want to hold that other person to your standard. Yes. I, I will say this. If like someone in a Nissan like Leaf <laughs> like just gets in front of me and wants to wants to go in to a like or is wanting to merge in, I will let that person merge in. If I see someone in a Hummer, I'm like, nope. Mm-hmm. You're not coming in. Yeah, it's to, to Daddy's breezing def- by you and your eight miles to the gallon. I mean, you definitely, yeah. If people are going to be conscious about environmentally conscious, I will always float them a pass. Even what if they're so driving. So a Prius driver? Yeah, Prius, Prius driver or Bolt or mm-hmm. Bolt or, you know, whatever. Tesla. Although Tesla, they're an asshole. But, yeah, I mean, Tesla's, Tesla's like the a, Hummer of electric cars. Yeah, it is, but, but they're still doing good. Like, you I can't get mad at them. It's like, it's the most frustrating way. <laughs> <laughs> to not like a Tesla is the physical manifestation of everyone who lives in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> Have you ever driven one? Yeah. Are they fun to drive? Super fun. Yeah. I it's mean, like, not mine. My friend had one, and I he let me drive it, or my friend she let me drive it around the block, and I was like, it's like Chrissy Teigen. Like you're like, I don't want to like you because you're so beautiful, and then you're like, ah, but you're doing great things. Like I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm down with board. You're up. You yeah. I, I was wrong with my initial thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to dismiss, and now I can't. You are so close right. to a legend. 
<laughs> both Tesla and Chrissy Teigen, both very visually appealing. Both. Totally. Yeah. Tremendous contours. Okay. Kelly says, whenever... And by the way, I don't know if you know this about Chrissy Teigen, fully Bluetooth. Like you're around her and you get full <laughs> right. Wi-Fi. You're just yeah. around her. I'm yeah. like, am I on the Teigen? Yeah. <laughs> Kelly says, whenever a customer wants a receipt for something small, i.e. gum or mints, my brain goes dark and wonders if they are trying to establish an alibi. I've never had that thought. In fact, I, for some reason, when I don't want a receipt for something small, I almost feel like I'm being a little bit um, it's like throwing rebellious. Throwing like you're having sex without a condom. <laughs> yes, what I'm am I going- doing here? <laughs> Exactly. Throwing Crazy. a piece of paper away in the trash instead of in recycling. You're right. like, well, I'm Crazy. living on the edge yeah, here. I think right. we always keep all our receipts because we're like, we can use this to like get our taxes down. I, but I totally. But even see a that. tiny little like yeah, a dollar. I see, I see that as like some things you don't need a receipt mm-hmm. for. If it's a, if it's that small, if it's two dollars or less, y- you do not need that. That receipt is never going to come in handy, and it's never going to be a game changer. Right. Now. Alibi though. Oh, I never thought of that. That's smart. Time printed on the receipt. Yeah, Yeah. it's kind of good. I do. Way to get your brain there. Often think about the fact that if I were in a situation because I watch these British crime shows because they're good, even though my husband doesn't not into Broadchurch, Mm -hmm. not into Happy Valley. Mm -hmm. I think he's missing out. He is. Um, they they always need someone to provide an alibi for like where were you July sixteenth two thousand fifteen I would never be no. able I would or even just where were you three weeks ago Thursday like you I would, would need say, to Let go me back check my receipts <laughs> yeah I would I would actually have to check my emails on my phone yeah. but I yeah I would never I would not be able to provide an so what alibi. you're saying is because people's memories are so short term and terrible always timestamp your shit I guess that is what I'm saying that I should be pocketing my receipts mm-hmm. yeah. Jay Tobias says, when a set of stairs has a curve, I try to plan my steps so that the outside foot will be on the large part of the stair of the, yeah, of the stair it. on the curve. I get it. That's, that's, that's I just think smart. if I do that automatically. You just do. I think by nature, I mean about when you come downstairs, mm-hmm. you always kind of go to the right anyway and that's where they get wider. Right. The question is when you're going up the steps- because your body step. wants to go towards the curve as quickly as possible, right. but it is so tiny in those moments you could go down. Going up would be more of the question. Right. The stairs, my apartment stairs, it's a curve, but the railing is on the narrow side. Which so it's I, almost interesting. Almost begging you to screw up. It's begging you to step on the tiny step part no, of the stairs. I don't like it. It's, I don't like it. Yeah. It's tiny I agree. Steps. I think that's actually a good call. Tiny Steps was the uh, was a great John Coltrane song. That was Giant Steps. Oh, all right. And John, I believe that was Thelonious Monk, but fine. No, it was, it was Coltrane. John Schember says, I'm uncomfortable when underage Olympians get dubbed sweethearts and darlings. Okay. Creepy, right? Well, you just heard what happened to, I mean, the radio announcer who was on Barstool Sports who called uh, Chloe Kim a like sweet piece of ass she's 17 years old it's like she's gonna turn 18 in in april you tell me that she's not a sweet piece of ass and you're like no you dumb come on what the what are you doing like (laughs) five years older than your daughter yeah like five years older than my oldest daughter right now that is ridiculous you can't say that you shouldn't really be thinking Mm -hmm. that i think even 18 is questionable like come on man like 
just understand and also understand like have a sensitivity don't be so tone deaf but he got fired actually from his job so yeah, yeah anytime they're like they start to they're, they're, walk down the tiny path towards sexualizing these athletes mm. and they do seem larger than life but you have to remember that there's I like that the Olympics is starting to show other footage of them with like their parents and stuff like that and yeah, because kids. they suddenly don't seem like mm-hmm. such mm-hmm. massive monolithic athletes I mean dude the, sh- the whole Sean White thing I don't know if you're following that mm. as well oh, a little bit Sean White who is like you know, comes back, was fourth last at the last Olympics, won gold the Olympics before that. And the Olympics before that. Really? This mm-hmm. is fourth Olympics? Fourth Olympics. Wow. So he's wins gold, and it's like a big triumphant story, and then all of a sudden out comes the story of how he... Uh, it's harassed. Hard, harassed. Oh, no, I, I did not hear Harassed a drummer in his band, which, number one, I'm like, Sean White, I why guarantee you your band sucks. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, your band is not good. Okay, you know why? Because we're not listening to your music. Mm-hmm. Like, and number nobody's... two, you're spending, you should be spending an enormous amount of time on snowboarding. If your band sucks, this is what if we your band's say. amazing. If, if like our golf game is good, we're not working hard mm-hmm. enough. If your band is amazing, you got to be out in the half pipe a little bit more, buddy. You have dreams and aspirations. So he's got a band and he was paying his band mates because he's a rich guy and you're in Sean White's band mm-hmm. and you can pay your bandmates and then he stopped paying this girl who was the drummer then he started sending her like suggestive pictures of like penises and stuff and then naked women playing the drums he's like how's this outfit and like you know stuff like that which just, is like, just you don't want to do that and then he's like you need to cut your hair how about you cut your hair short shorter than shoulder length and she's like I like my long hair and he's like you sure you want to make that decision so what? he's it just just weird, weird pressure weird yeah. pressure like, is, is it rape no is it like sexual assault no but it is definitely harassment it is it definitely, is definitely inappropriate power coercion, to yeah. coercion making someone feel uncomfortable she felt like she had to stay I mean some people could argue we'll just get out of the band well maybe this is her form of income that she was counting on for the next couple of months we don't know yeah people stay in jobs that suck because this is the check they're she's getting. getting to do her art she's getting to be part of this band maybe she liked the other bandmates maybe she liked the music maybe there were parts of it that she liked it's a complicated thing you can't just say walk away from something but still he was inappropriate, and NBC doesn't announce or talk about any of that. But stuff. now mm. it's coming out, and he's got to apologize. And he's got—I'm like, dude, if you did this in your past, you may not—you cannot stand up there and do a victory lap. You're going to have to deal with this shit on this time around in this culture that we live in right now. Mm-hmm. You are going to have to deal with it. You're going to have—it's going to affect. You won't be able to enjoy it. You just won't. You or or it. you can enjoy it, and then you also have to deal with these allegations. To go back to something you said a moment ago, it never really occurred to me until now as a parent and uh, an official old person, 18 seems very young. 18 is so young. The problem is that people mature in ways that, you know, like there are 16-year-olds who look like they're 23 mm-hmm. and you just have to be super, especially if you're a single person or you're you. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I'm already... In, I'm, I'm in tra- not entrapped but I'm in, engaged in something I am in entrapped. a prison I'm in prison no. <laughs> I'm involved in something and so this will not bother me but like yeah you if you're we have friends that are single and they're like 30 32 mm-hmm. the internet people send and they're known people and I'm like be you gotta careful. be careful and we say this to them all the time dudes you gotta be careful because what if someone presents themselves as this is present yourself as 23 and you're 16 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
you just have to be super, super, super careful. And so, again, and be careful the way you talk about that stuff. So I completely agree with this. Don't walk down that terrible road of sexualizing these young people. Yeah. And lastly, Stevie Grill says, turn the dryer back on because I don't want to fold the clothes. I feel like I've done that. Not regularly. Oh, but I feel like I've done that. I've to said get, to get the wrinkles to... out. Like I've done mm-hmm. that move where I'm like, it's been sitting in there all night. Like maybe I just give a little fluff. When really you should take it out yeah. to fold it, fold but it. you're just trying to pat, kick yeah. it, kick it down the line, kick the right. fabric softener down the line a little bit. Yeah. Our dryer has an alarm this, that you can't turn off. I've tried. <laughs> I've looked first it up. World, first world problems. Yeah, well, it is, yes. But um, has an alarm like 10 minutes before it's done, five minutes before it's done, oh, and wow. one minute. It's like the- It's like a bomb about to go off. It's- the most, especially if you have a baby in the house Oof. who could be sleeping, it's the most annoying thing. Yep. Um, it's to let you, it's so that you're, like I would, uh, wrinkled clothes are fine with me yeah. if I could not have this alarm. Yeah. And, uh, our landlord bought it, okay. In case someone's like, why did you buy this terrible, terrible yeah, machine? It was not in you. your. Right. It, it was, was foisted upon us. Yes. Hey, did the stu- does the stuff get dry? It does. Okay. All yeah. Right. It sucks. It functions. It- it's just loud. By the way, and then. You're like, maybe I'll have a baby that'll sleep through alarms. I remember <laughs> the the early days of thinking, it's amazing. He sleeps through everything, not realizing like that's just newborns. Yeah. Not anymore. Nope. 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 Randy and Jason Sklar, it was so nice to have you guys on the show. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for, for having us on. on. Thanks for talking about our crazy poop movie. Yeah, go see Poop Talk. Yeah, Start so a revolution. Where can... Uh, mm, Plug, please. All right. So it's in 11 cities. It's in Toronto at the Carlton or Carlson, Carlton, I think, theater. It's in New York at the Village East. It's here in Los Angeles at the uh, Lemley Monica in Santa Monica. It's at the Screenland Tapcade in Kansas City. It's in Atlanta. It's in uh, Minneapolis. Minneapolis. It's at Tower City in Cleveland. It's the um, Roxy Theater in the San Roxy Francisco. In San Francisco. So it's some it's cool in Boston at the Apple Cinemas in Boston at the uh, Facets Cinema in Chicago. So all these people, if you can go out and see it this weekend, I mean, this is mm-hmm. like it's. I think it's in most of these theaters for a week to see how it does. If people actually go see it, then it'll stay. So they're going to hear this on Monday. It will have just come out a couple days before. Yes. So go out and see it, you guys. Monday, it's Monday, a holiday. It's Presidents Day. It'll be what a, better way to honor our current president? Talk about <laughs> movie shit. about shit. <laughs> but no, this is look. We we've said it before. This is you know the Brown Panther. Check it out. <laughs> it's DIY. <laughs> if you're already listening to podcasts, you already support independent art in that way. Mm-hmm. So this is your chance to, to step support out. an independent thing that I guarantee you will laugh. You'll laugh and you'll recognize almost everyone in it. Yeah, it's got amazing people in it, and it will. Of it's only seventy minutes long. You will laugh very hard at it. Perfect. Um, and then it's also on video on demand. Yeah, right? if you do, if you're not in any of those cities, you can iTunes, Amazon, VOD through your cable. I will put, I will tweet out an Amazon link and include it in the episode summary of this episode. Jeff, where do we find you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox, and follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow me on Instagram at Allison Rosen. Just go to AllisonRosen.com for all the links to all the places I am. And if you like what you're hearing, iTunes.com/slash Allison Rosen. Subscribe, etc. And I will be on Dumb People Town. You are going to be on Dumb People Town to promote your book. To promote That's your book. Right. You're on coming. the day your book comes out, you'll you'll be it'll released. drop on April 10th. So it'll be a very we are very excited to have you come in the town. I'm super excited as well. Thank you again, listeners. Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. 
Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Allison Rosen is your new band.